So let's have a quick moment of prayer. Your Majesty, as we bow before your word this morning, we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. So this morning I've got my Bible open to Mark chapter 1. And to begin with, we are looking at verses 14 and 15, which reads as followed. And I'm reading from the New English Translation. Shauna's going to have it up there for us. It says, Now after John was in prison, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God. He said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. So, I mean, this was really earth-shattering news. And you notice that it says that Jesus came preaching the gospel of God. And so often we take that word gospel and we water it down to the point that it's almost meaningless. We look at it and we think, oh, gospel, that means good news. Like, oh, it's going to be 23 degrees today. That's good news as opposed to 23 minus, you know, or whatever. But this word in the original language and the way it was originally used, it was talking about an announcement that was going to totally shake your world up. It was so good that everybody needed to sit up and pay attention because nothing was ever going to be the same as a result of this announcement. And the announcement that Jesus made was that the dominion of God was now breaking into our time and space and nothing was ever going to be the same. And if you were a Jew listening to that message, what you would hear was that all of God's promises that he had talked about through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Zechariah and all of these guys about the time that God was going to become king and was going to set things back in order was now breaking in upon us. So they would have been excited about that. They would have perked up and listened because this was really important. If you were a Roman, and Mark was particularly written to uh, Christians in Rome, if you were a Roman and you heard that message, what you heard was Caesar is in trouble. Because there is a new king in town and he is taking over, which means that he's going to rule, Caesar is not. And so nothing is ever going to be the same. And so that was the message that Jesus came preaching. God is here, he is taking over, he's invading our space, he's showing up, and everything is going to change as a result of that. Now that sounds really good, but it's got to look like something. If he makes that announcement and nothing changes, then he's just blowing smoke. Now, if you don't know what blowing smoke means, that we always used to talk about that in southwest Kansas. Oh, that guy just blowing smoke, right? He's just putting out a lot of hot air without any meaning behind it. So if God is showing up and is actually taking over, something has got to shift. Something has got to start changing. Otherwise, it's just a lot of religious rhetoric. So we want to journey this morning a little farther into Mark chapter 1 because beginning immediately after this announcement, we start getting a very good look at what life looks like when the king reigns. 
So let's continue reading here in Mark chapter 1, and let's read verses 16 to 20. Speaking of Jesus, it says, And as he went along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will turn you into fishers of people. They left their nets immediately and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in their boats mending nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, you've got to picture, you've got to, you've got to literally take your religious glasses off, and you've got to hear this with the impact that it was meant to have on us. You know, people say, oh, isn't that wonderful? Jesus went up and invited them to follow him like this is a really good idea. Folks, kings don't issue invitations. Kings issue orders. He did not walk up and say, would you guys like to follow me? How about a new career? Wouldn't that be wonderful? No, he walked up and looked at them and said, follow me. Follow me. And then he told them what the result would be if they did. Follow me and I will make you fishers for people. He was issuing a command. A command that had a result that was attached to it. Now you've got to understand what that meant. And they knew full well what that meant. That meant that he was calling for them to totally give up everything that they had known as life in order to take off and do whatever it was he was doing. And that's what repentance is all about. It's changing course to go in a different direction. Their course was set. They were probably following along with the family business. They were fishermen, probably inherited that from their dad. Chances are they were partners with Jimmy and John and and Zebedee, their dad, right? And so they were going to have to give all of that up. And they were going to have to begin to totally orient their entire lives around this individual. Because when you are following somebody, the biggest thing is you cannot lose their focus. You've got to watch them constantly. Otherwise, they might turn left and you keep going straight. So now they're going to have to totally zone in on him. They're going to have to totally focus, go wherever he's doing, do whatever he's doing. And they're going to have to put their trust completely in him. Right? And so Jesus walks up, issues this order. Pete looks at Andy. Andy looks at Pete. They both look at Jesus. And they drop their nets and take off after him. Who does that? Right? Some dude walks up to you on the beach, says, follow me. And I'm going to change your whole life. And they walk off and follow him. And doggone, he walks up the beach and does it again. Now, here's Jimmy and and John in the boat with their dad, Zebedee. And he issues the same order. Follow me. Now, you picture Zebedee for just a moment. Old Zeb's sitting there. He doesn't think he's got a thing in the world to worry about. He knows his boys ain't going to take off after no preacher. And yet all of a sudden, Jimmy's looking at John. John's looking at Jimmy. They're both looking at Pete and Andy. And they're following him. They look back at Zeb. Zeb's standing there looking at them like, you can't be serious here. And they drop their nets and get out with their dad sitting there with his eyeballs bugging out. Go, where are you going? 
But they take off after him and follow him, giving up everything, all their security, the family legacy, tarnishing the family name. All of that was in, well, excuse me, all of that was involved. And yet here they go. So what happened here? We sometimes read these things and because we're so familiar with them, we don't think of the implications of what we have just witnessed. But what we just saw was that these men entered the kingdom of God. That's the way it happens. The minute we put ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we leave the kingdom of darkness. We enter the kingdom of God's own son so that from this moment on, we take our cues from another source. And we place our entire trust in this man, figuring that he can do a better job with our lives than we ever did. I don't know about you, but I only had my life for 15 years before I met Jesus. And I screwed it up so bad, he couldn't have done any worse. But he totally turned everything back around. And by doing this, by entering the kingdom of God, their lives were completely redefined. Before that moment, they were known as fishermen. After that moment, they weren't known as fishermen anymore. They were known as the disciples of Jesus Christ. They had a new handle because everybody understood that these are now under his dominion. They are learning from him. They're doing what he does, preaching what he preaches, and all of that. And what we see here is a demonstration of what it means to repent and believe. That's why Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand, therefore repent and believe the good news. They repented. They turned away from their previous course of action. They believed in that they fully surrendered themselves to this person, Jesus of Nazareth. And that's the same thing that happens to every single one of us the minute we say yes to this man, Jesus. And our whole life gets redefined. It doesn't matter who we were prior to that that calling. The minute we accept that calling, nothing about us is the same. Absolutely nothing. Ben Wetherington III in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark says the following. So good. He says, the disciples following Jesus, having given up up much, including a normal life, to do so, served as visible symbols that the time for repentance or turning or change of direction had come. They demonstrated by their actions how to respond to the announcement that the dominion of God was at hand. A radical announcement requires a radical and total response All prior claims on a person lose their urgency. If the kingdom of God is breaking in upon us, if God is coming to rule, there is nothing more important for us to pursue. Because we only hold one of two relationships with that reality. We are either in or we are out without there being any gray areas. 
And you do not want to come out on the wrong side of that equation. Because either we're his friends or we are his enemies. Either we are gathering with him or we are scattering people from him. But that's the only choices that we have. And so the minute these guys said yes to Jesus, they switched their previous nets for another set of nets because now they're going to be gathering with the king. And I want to tell you something here this morning, folks. We are in the midst of an epic prophetic moment. Now, don't worry. We're not going to get weird and psych out and float out the window someplace here. But listen to me very closely. We are in an epic prophetic time. There is so much shaking going on in the kingdom of God right now. I have never seen the like in nearly 40 some, 48 years of walking with the Lord. Talk about the chess pieces being moved around. It's absolutely incredible. My daughter and I just had this conversation the other night. And uh, she was on her way home, and so she called her dad, and we were talking, and we were saying about how much shaking and moving they'd seen in their lives. We have, my wife and I, all of our kids have. And then the other day, she sent me a prophetic word from an Irish brother uh, named Craig Cooney, and I nearly fell over when I read it because it was nearly word for word exactly what we had talked about. The fact that God is sifting, God is shaking, God is moving. That's what we saw up here this morning, you know, and that's why I didn't even raise an eyebrow. I did tell Vince I hated him later, but I didn't even raise an eyebrow because it's like, yeah, of course, this is what's going on. God is shaking us out of one place in order to shake us into the next place. He's going to shake somebody else into here and it's going to be okay. God already has this planned out. I didn't know about it. A lot of you didn't know about it. God knew about it. One of the greatest revelations of my life was the fact that nothing ever takes God by surprise. It might blow you and I completely out of the water because we did not see it coming a, a mile away. But God knew. And therefore, whenever we meet a need, that automatically means that we meet God's provision. And so God already has a plan. That's why we just need to stay sharp. Stay focused. That's one thing the Lord has been speaking to me repeatedly. Stay focused. Watch. Listen. Don't miss anything. This is not a time to throw our hands up in despair. This is a time to grab hold, hang on, because the ride is incredible. And it's going to be good no matter what you do. So it's a good day. It's a really, really good day. Now, if this was the only thing that this meant, that God was now redefining lives of people who had come under his dominion, that would be wonderful, but that is not all it means. Let's keep reading, find out what else we see when the king reigns. Let's look at uh, verses 21 to 28. It says, Then they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed by his teaching because he taught them like one who had authority, not like the experts of the law. And just then, there was was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, Leave us alone, Jesus the Nazarene. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
But Jesus rebuked him. Silence! Come out of him! And after throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they asked one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He even commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. So the news about him spread quickly through all the region around about Galilee. Now, there's a couple of different things that we see here. Number one, we see that Jesus went into the synagogue, which was his custom, and he sat down. You know, we, we pace around when we preach. They, they used to sit back in the day. And so Jesus sat down and he began to speak to them, and they immediately noticed that there was something really different about this guy. Most of the, the, the scribes and the teachers of the law and the people who spoke in that day, they would reference this commentary and that tradition and all that kind of stuff. Jesus did none of that because his teaching had a unique origin in the fact that his teaching came from God. And because his teaching came from God, he also spoke with the authority of God. So everybody in the synagogue was sitting up and paying attention because this was something very different. Until the unthinkable happened. Now, I mean, we're all pretty laid back here at Calvary Church. I mean, you know, kids run up and down the aisles and, you know, we have coffee and all that kind of stuff. You didn't do that in the synagogue back in the day. You know, everybody was supposed to be prim and proper and, you know, everything was decent and in order and all that kind of stuff. And you sure didn't shout in the middle of church. But all of a sudden, this guy raised his voice and went to yelling at the speaker. I mean, how rude can you get? And all of a sudden, he began to this voice. I, I've, I, my wife will tell you, I've got this really wild imagination. And I have lived this thing so many times as I've thought about it. You know, I can just picture people were hopping over the pews, you know, trying to get away from that spook. I mean, who was that and what was that? And <laughs> But this thing begins to scream, leave us alone. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And while everybody in the synagogue was freaking out, Jesus just sat there. Didn't even bat an eye. And he looked at him and said, Silence! Come out of him. And immediately... That thing shrieked, and the guy was instantly delivered. Now, that was something very unusual. In those days, people knew demons, and they feared them. And they had their different ways of trying to cast them out. You know what one of their ways was? They would shove smelly roots up people's nose in order to try and stink the demon out. (laughs) You're laughing, but I'm serious, you know. All kinds of things they'd try and do until I think finally the demons would just get bored and leave, you know, because this was not fun anymore. But Jesus didn't do any of that. In fact, they'd never seen anything happen this quickly. But what do we see in this? We see the fact that the king was present. The one with authority from God was seated in their midst and his enemies recognized it. And they were absolutely terrified. 
And we see that this king, without any effort whatever, immediately vanquished his enemies so that there was no place found for them at all. They had to leave immediately. And what we were getting in that moment was a foretaste of a future event. Listen to what Alan Street writes in his book, Heaven on Earth. He says, Jesus sees each exorcism as a victory over Satan himself. Entering enemy territory, Jesus plunders Satan's house or kingdom. Each triumph is a sign that God's kingdom has arrived. Satan is losing his grip. Over people's lives. Now remember we started out by saying. That this message. That the kingdom of God is at hand. Has got to look like something. Otherwise it's just empty words. So we see what does it look like. It looks like lives being redefined. As they come under the reign of the king. It also looks like the king. Defeating his enemies. Without effort. So here again we see another demonstration of the fact that the kingdom of God was indeed at hand. And I said just a moment ago that we caught a glimpse of the future. Hold that in your mind as we continue reading here because it's going to become important in just a moment. So what else does it look like when the king reigns? Well, let's keep reading. 29 to 34. It says, Now as soon as they left the synagogue, they entered Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. And Simon's mother-in-law was lying down sick with a fever. So they spoke to Jesus at once about her. And he came and raised her up, uh, gently taking her by the hand. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And when it was evening, after sunset, they brought to him all who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered by the door. So he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons, but he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So this was after this whole synagogue episode. Now put yourself in the place of Pete, Andy, Jimmy, and John. They started following this guy around. They had no idea what they were going to get into. And now all of a sudden they have just watched this whole synagogue scene and thought, oh man, we've got the best seats in the house. If this kind of stuff keeps going, we're going to be right there front and center. Hot dog. Let's see what else happens. So now it's getting on towards, you know, the end of the day, sun's going down. And so they go to Pete, Pete and Andy's house for FOSPA. If you all know what FOSPA is, how many of you all know what FOSPA is? All right, see, <laughs> almost every hand in the house went out. For those of you that don't know, ask somebody to raise their hand. They'll explain it to you. <laughs> but they go in for a meal, right? And so they enter in, and the next thing they see is that Pete's mother-in-law was sick with a fever. Luke tells us it was a high fever. So this was a serious situation because, as you know, they didn't have all the medications that we have in this day. So here they are. I mean, this would normally be really serious. I mean, death could possibly be knocking at the door with this fever being present. Now, can you imagine what that conversation must have looked like when all of a sudden Andy nudges Pete and ask him about her? You know, see what he did in that synagogue? Ask him about her. 
I'm not going to ask him. Andy, you ask him. No, it's your mother-in-law. You ask. So I don't know how long that went on, but finally one of them said, um, Master, um, mother-in-law over here is um, really, really sick with a fever. Would you, uh, would you maybe go, uh, you know, take a look at her? <laughs> how do you ask that? I mean, they don't know what they're doing here, right? This is all very new to them. And the king walks over to where this dear woman is lying, sick with a fever, reaches down, takes her gently by the hand, and raises her up. And right in front of everybody present, that fever breaks. And being the good Jewish woman she is, she gets up and starts throwing on supper. Hallelujah. She rises up and begins to serve her guests where we see the purpose of all miracles. Beyond just the relief of suffering, the purpose of miracles is so that we are free to serve the King. There's something to think about. So, I mean, now can you imagine those four like, did you see that? (laughs) Right? So, fine, they get over that. They're all sitting down there probably having a meal of fish. I mean, you're in a fisherman's home. What else are you going to have, Andrew? You're going to have fish, right? So they're having their fish. You know, the sun is setting. That means the Sabbath is now over. People are free to get out of their homes and move around. And all of a sudden, they hear a disturbance outside. And so, because it's Pete's place, you know, Pete, go check, see what's going on out there. So Pete gets up, probably wipes his hands on his toga or whatever, you know, goes out to the door, and he comes back, and he's got this really odd look on his face. Um, Master, I think it's for you. And when Jesus goes to the door, here's the whole town standing out there. And they've got every kind of an invalid, blind, deaf, dumb, demon-possessed thing that you could imagine with them. The whole crowd is standing out there. And Jesus just totally nonplussed. I don't know if he pulls up a, a chair. I don't know if he just begins to move through the crowd. But Luke tells us that laying his hands on every one of them, he begins healing them. There were demons in the crowd and he shushed them because he didn't need that kind of advertising. He shushed them because they knew who he was and he cast them out. And I tell you what, in my own imagination, I have set up on a hill overlooking the little town of Capernaum and I have listened to the sounds that had to have come from that crowd that night. You can hear the gasp of the crowd as all of a sudden the paralytics began to stand up. And as the blind eyes begin to open, you can hear the shrieks of the demonized as the demons come out of them. You can hear the cloud, the crowd clap and to cheer as one after another suffering is alleviated. What is happening here? I'll tell you what happened here. Heaven and earth collided. That's what happened there. This was kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven invaded that situation and heaven 
one. And every one of these things that we have talked about so far was a foretaste of a future day. A day that will be like no other day when all of a sudden the eastern sky splits open and we see our king coming down on a white horse. And all of a sudden we enter into a new time where righteousness, peace and joy reigns by the Holy Spirit in unprecedented measures. We are looking forward to a time when all of a sudden that which we have contained on the inside in the presence of God's spirit is suddenly going to spread to the outside and we are going to be changed and these sick bodies won't be no more. We'll all be 33 years old again. Hallelujah. And we will all be healthy and we will all be well and everything will be good and the curse will be removed. We are looking forward to a day when the devil is going to be stood on the precipice of the lake of fire and God is going to go flick and that will be done forever. Yeah. Every time we see one more person born again, it's a foretaste of a coming day. Every time we see a demon sent packing in the name of Jesus, it's a foretaste of a coming day. Every time we see a sick body healed, it's the foretaste of a coming day. And it's just making us wish that he would hurry up and show up. Because that's the answer to this world's woes. I don't care who's sitting in the White House. I don't care who's sitting in Parliament. I know the one who is seated on the throne. And he alone is the answer. And so as we can see. This message that the king brought was not just empty words. He said that the kingdom of God had broken into our time and space and he wasn't kidding. And everything has changed as a result. The king's enemies are defeated with only a word. The maladies resulting from the fall of man are reversed by a simple, simple touch. And the kingdom of God is indeed near. And this is how it looks When the king reigns. And that's why he taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Some people want to push that all off to the future. Uh Uh-uh. He meant right here. Right now. In this throbbing moment. Will we get the whole enchilada? No. It is a foretaste. I often liken it, Michelle, to that little boy who comes in from playing and all of a sudden he sees that mom has made his favorite chocolate cake. And he's just big enough to stretch his little hand up there and drag his finger along the rim of that icing and get that taste. Oh, man, that's good. You can bet that kid is going to eat every pea on his plate that night because he knows what is to come because he's had the foretaste. And every foretaste should be just like that. Make us hungry for more until we will not be satisfied with anything any 
less. Calvary Church, listen to me very closely. The world that you and I live in does not need another sermon. They don't need another fancy program. They don't need another argument. What they need is an encounter. They need a God encounter that rocks their world right down to their bootstraps, that gives them something they cannot explain. One day, Mina and I were sitting in uh, the Fort Gary Hotel, and I was watching all these people coming and going, every ethnicity that you can imagine. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching it as I'm having my coffee, and I'm saying, oh, God, God, what is it going to take? To reach these people. And just as quickly. He spoke back to me and said. They need to be confronted. With a wisdom they cannot refute. And a power they cannot explain. That and that only. Is going to win this generation. When all of a sudden they come away from church going. I don't know what that was. But boy there's something real over there. I don't know how they did that. But I'll tell you what. We saw God. We saw God, and He's better than we ever imagined. That's why we need to be praying, Your kingdom come, Your will be done, right here in this house. Every Sunday morning, every time we gather, every time the doors are open, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. Spirit of the living God, Would you purge our hearts of every fear of the supernatural? Would you stir within us an absolute hunger for the moving of the Holy Spirit so that we would not be satisfied with anything any less? Would this place be known as a place where the King reigns? in the fullness of His majestic authority, in the fullness of His wondrous power, so that a testimony would be raised up that would shake this community, both near and far, that Your glory might be seen, that Your light might shine, and multitudes be swept into Your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord.